The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Talking Star Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Lives. You join me on my co-host today, Joey Ikes. Uh, we are back after a rough week three, but a pretty damn great week four. So we're kind of back on track and back in the the uh the good vibes and not the sorrow and down vibes. So uh glad to see them bounce back in week four against a I don't know if you'd say great Patriots team. I don't even know if you'd say a good Patriots team, but a Patriots team that we thought could still be a little scrappy and uh they went in there and uh went into AT&T stadium and took care of business pretty easily so that was a uh that was a fun week four matchup against Patriots um and we're going to talk about that a little bit here to start and then get into I know it's only week five but a lot of a lot of people a lot, a lot of folks think this is the game of the year this this Sunday night against San Francisco so we're going to knock out both of these topics but before we do Joey how you doing I'm doing well man like you said it's uh I don't know that it was a good Patriots team, or I know it wasn't a great Patriots team, but it was a team that had given some some pretty good teams good games, and then the Cowboys gave Bill Belichick his worst defeat in twenty something years, and so, and I think that's what it is, right? Like they were a pretty damn good defense that just couldn't do much on offense. So it was like with the questions we had coming out of Week Three with the offense and scoring, it was like this could be a twenty one. 14 21 17 game and it's just can you get to 21 yep and uh and the cowboys got there pretty quickly and uh the game was pretty much over at you know 18 to 3 or something like that because it it became very clear very early and it wasn't that hard to see going into the game that the patriots were going to have a hard time scoring and if the cowboys could score the patriots weren't going to be able to score with them and they got out to, you know, 18 – they did a good – took the ball, go down the field, kick a field goal, take the ball, bat, get a stop or get a – force a field goal of your own and then go down and get a touchdown, and it's 10 to 3 at that point. And then, you know, you have the uh, the big play by Jalen Tolbert on the punt. You have the Leighton Vander Esch scoop and score on the Dante Fowler sack. And then you have the uh, fake extra point 
which is uh, that's the first time anybody's ever faked an extra point since they moved it back, which I think is uh, pretty awesome. <laughs> um, and it kind of makes sense, right? Like if you're going to go for two, you may as well start at the two yard line instead of wherever, I don't even the seven yard line or wherever it is, they moved it back to, you may as well take the five extra free yards and the, uh, the fact that you've got your offense on the field to make a play rather than, you know, relying on the, uh, the element of surprise, but the, uh, but, you know, Bones was ready for Bill this week, and uh, they had one in, and they they ran it, and it worked. And it was 18-3 to three after that, and the game was over. So, Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I want to start with – I hate to say the, the bad or the ugly because there wasn't much bad or ugly there. But I guess I want to start at the, the topic that a lot of people still and, – and I'll include myself in that. Like, we still saw struggles in the red zone. And, and I want to go – I want to preface it by saying, you know, I'm not saying that I felt this week was a little bit more. I hate I, – I you can, and it's part of the game, but I hate always blaming the execution side of things when things don't go right. But I feel like this game, you could blame the execution side of things a little bit more than we were in weeks past. But there was still that issue there, and that's still, I think, something that they're going to – you know, again, we saw it in Arizona. We saw it – we're – probably going to see it this week if they struggle in the red zone it's going to be hard for them to beat teams when your defense isn't getting three or four turnovers a game and scoring multiple touchdowns um and that's what we saw in week three which was a disappointing loss and obviously you're you're thinking you're going to have to clean it up in the red zone and and you know in order to beat a a tough san francisco team so i want to start there do you still have any concerns or questions about that red zone issue that's been giving them a problem so far to start the year I mean, I think if if you were to just say, oh, no, I'm not worried about it at all, it'll be fine, and just kind of, you know, sweep it under the rug, wipe it away, you're being a little bit um, disingenuous. Like, you can't look at the way that they performed there over the last three weeks and, uh, and consider it to be not a problem. Now, there are some little – like, if the ball was four inches further forward on the play, they threw a touchdown down to cd lamb that's a red zone possession and a red zone right. touchdown and maybe the numbers look a little better and we feel a little bit better but you know they go from being you know one for four to two for five and we still don't feel great but you know it's better they score two red zone touchdowns and we feel a little bit better about it um but i there are just things that you know we've now seen two young tight ends drop very very catchable seam passes that they need to they need to catch in the end zone like that's the kind of play you have to make in the red zone in the end zone um in the nfl um we've seen i I think like you said the, the execution part of it was a bigger deal this week than it was last week last week i don't think the uh i don't think the design was very good and i'll be fully honest i haven't had a chance to dive into the all 22 for this week yet just because of you know life uh but from what we saw on the broadcast and what i've seen on replays and things like that on twitter of people posting things and things like that um it, it looked a lot more like execution related things than play calling related things um and that to me is a little bit of a positive because you feel like okay if it's a the tight end dropped a pass problem the tight end's not always going to drop a pass. If it's a the offensive coordinator doesn't know how to call plays to get us in the end zone, 
that's a real problem. Not the tight end drops a ball because the tight end will not drop every ball, especially if you just start throwing it to the tight end who never drops balls, apparently. Um, so, yeah, the red zone thing is concerning because if you go to San Francisco this week and you go one for four in the red zone, you're going to lose. And it's probably not going to be very close. Um, but I think they showed the possibility that it should have been at least two for four because um, Schoonmaker should have caught the touchdown pass on the scene. That's a perfectly thrown ball. He's got to catch that ball. Um, and then you add the CD Lamb touchdown pass to that. And now all of a sudden you're looking at a three for five, 60% touchdown rate. Uh, red zone trip, and now you're looking at 27 points on offense plus whatever your defense puts up. Um, that's you know that's not a bad day. Um, yeah. So that's that's sort of where that's sort of where I am on that. Is is it's a concern because it'll cost you games against good teams if it doesn't get better. But I don't see anything that tells me after, especially after this week, made me feel a little bit better about the play calling side of it and the menu part of it. Um, I don't see anything that says it can't get better, especially when this quarterback has led offensives that have been the best in the league at it, literally. Yeah. And, and I, again, like I'm not trying to get hot takey blaming whatever. It's like, I do think that this week was probably Schoonmaker catches, catches the touchdown there, you know, three or four yards closer when CD land, the numbers look better, but I still have, they're still running so many low percentage and slow developing plays down there. That's just, we talked about it last week. Like that's not an area of the field. Like we get it on the goal line first and, you know, first or second down from the two yard line where you run that, you know, bootleg fake to just get the defense crashing down and you can leak a tight end out, hit him for an easy touchdown. We get that. But when you're from the 13, 12, 10 yard line and you're running those slow developing play action plays, um, I just think that that's that's a slow developing play that it's not you don't have the space to really spam those plays down there and they keep going back to those slower developing play actions. Um, I, I just I was went back to a tweet from the day after, but you know somebody asked you know why do you think the team's struggling? I kind of just broke it down from the first few series in the red zone. In the first trip, they went a fade to Ceedee Lamb, incomplete pass. Uh, they ran a play action that resulted in they it was a shovel pass I don't know if that was the design of the player he was just avoiding a sack but they, they threw the congested shovel pass that did not look good whatsoever and then Tony Pollard and Dak ran into each other on the handoff or play fake whatever that was supposed to be so like there I go okay the first play of that I I've said this for years and some people hate it but I hate running fades down in the I, I get it if you got a guy like Des Bryant but like even Michael got like I don't mind doing it once or twice, but I feel like that's been like their go-to pass play to start the year as a fade, and it's just a low percentage play. You're 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 giving your guy a shot. I get it, but it's just not not a play I love on first down on um, the start. Um, and then obviously they went play action and the shovel pass, and then the 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 collide there by the quarterback and the running back. So that was clunky as hell. And then the next series, uh, they went run on first down. They ran the stick that was batted down. Um, Schoonmaker was kind of covered up, but maybe a good pass you score there. Um, and then they ran like CeeDee Lamb. He was lined up in the backfield, which I do like that, but they just ran him on like a quick out out of the backfield, got him the ball on, I want to say it was for first and 10 from the 13 or something like that. And they needed, seven or eight yards if I remember correctly and they were only able to get one so I don't know it just seems like there's a lot of 
design stuff. There's a lot of execution stuff and it's still early. These guys didn't play in the preseason. So I think the execution side of things will get cleaned up, but I would just like to see them be a little bit more creative with the, I mean, you watch these teams, you watch the Miamis and the Kansas cities, like they're in shotgun when they're down there and they're just, you know, it's, it's quick, decisive decisions, throws The guys are either, you know, they're running the mesh concepts to where they're getting a guy, you know, running east to west and and making guys fight through traffic in those condensed areas or they're they're motioning guys out outside, you know, getting them the ball quick. And we talked about that last week. Like one of the highest percentage plays down there is getting the ball out to your best playmaker in space towards the sideline and seeing if he can beat the defender to the the pylon and or the 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 goal line or the pylon or the first down mark or whatever that is. Cause the space is so condensed. If you can get him in motion and kind of get him a run and start against the DB or linebacker or safety, whatever that is, that's, that's a higher percentage play to me than the, the fades or the, the long development play action. So that's just something I'd like them to cut back on the slow developing play action stuff from that 10 to 15 yard marker and just really focus on getting the ball into CD lamb's hands and, I mean, Jake Ferguson's turned it on a little bit. Tony Pollard's hands in the passing game. I just, I, I love to see that instead of targeting the, you know, Schoonmakers and the 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 Peyton Hinder shots and the running plays. I just, I feel like they could clean up the design and and play calling aspect of things a lot to help themselves out too. Yeah, I think there's there's like a there's a very specific area of the red zone where it's an issue too. Right. It's, it's like, like that. It's like a know, twelve to fifteen yard line. <laughs> Well, it's even like it's even for me. It's from about the five yard line to about yeah. the twelve yard line. Seven to outside 12 of the twelve yard line, they're pretty good. They got the right? space inside the five yard line. They're good because you can line up and run the ball at people, and most of the time, you know, and because even when they when they're at the twelve yard line, a lot of times they're running the ball on first down and getting four yards, and you're like, all right, four yards. We're at the eight yard line. Right. Second down and six at the eight, and then like they can't do anything from the eight, and they get you know they wind up kicking a field goal. But like I just went and pulled their their drives in the red zone the last couple of weeks. They kicked the field goal with the last yard of scrimmage at the eight. They turned it over on downs on the four, kicked the field goal on the eight through an interception on the six. And then this week they kicked a field goal from the five, a field goal from the five, a field goal from the 15, and scored a touchdown from the three. So if they get inside the five, they're probably going to score. Like they they have the ability, they have the offensive line to line up, shove a Hunter Lefke in there and score a touchdown, or a Rico Dowdle or a Tony Pollard or whoever, and score a touchdown from inside the five. When they're outside the fifteen or so yard line, twelve to fifteen yard yard line, they have enough space to be able to work things vertically and be able to do things like throw the ball to Ceedee Lamb over the top. Um, but they get in that eight, nine, ten yard area and they start doing things like, hey, we want to throw a low risk pass into the end zone to take a shot here, we're going to throw the sideline fade. And it's too, it's too far back away from the end zone to throw. Cause even Des didn't really do like what you think of when you think of the quote unquote fade route. Like he didn't run to the back pylon and jump up and dunk on people. Like he ran three steps in the end zone, turned around and Tony fired it at the pylon and Des just turned around and and leaned back and caught the ball over and over and over and over again incredibly well but that's not what they're doing right now i don't think i don't think dak really loves that throw and so they're throwing the like the true hey go up and you know try to make a play and get your feet down in the back of the end zone 
touchdown pass. And that's a, like you were talking about, it's a tough play. And so they're just in this kind of weird zone from the five to the 12 or 13 yard line where, especially because a lot of times when they get to the five, they've gotten to the five and it's third and three at the five. That's what's killing them. Yes, exactly. It's not third and goal at the three. It's third and three at the five. So like they're, they just have wound up in these really weird situations in the red zone that I think over a large sample of a season washes out and they'll be fine. But in this couple of game stretch, it just happens to have played out that way where they've had a lot of first down and 10 at the 12 yard line or first and 10 at the 14 that turns into second and eight at the eight or something or second and six at the eight or something like that. And they, they just haven't found a way to navigate that area of the field yet. And some of the things they've tried, they haven't executed very well. And, um, and they're going to, I'm sure they're going to try some new things over the course of the next couple of weeks and try to get better at it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's, like I said, move on. I mean, there's, you know, really outside of the red zone, you know, and it, we thought it was probably a little bit better this week than it has been, but outside of some of the still red zone kind of clunkiness, I guess is a word we can use and make up to, to explain it. Um, there really wasn't much else to talk about. I mean, the defense was back to its dominant form. I think we kind of, we kind of said that last week that like, Hey, we think like, I mean, and, and truly after, I guess to close out this, put a ribbon bow on this, like, we said last week to start the show, like we felt like the Cardinals really, really compared for the, you know, prepared for the Cowboys and the Cowboys really didn't look like they prepared for the Cardinals much at all. And it almost seems like after week four, you're like, yeah, that's probably what happened. And it sounds crazy to say, cause it's obviously you're, it sounds you're, nuts, but yeah. it sounds nuts, but, but, it, and again, like, we're not saying that that is what happened, but man, it just seems like maybe they went into that week three game against Arizona a little too high and mighty and, maybe didn't spend as much time preparing on the small details and schemes and all that stuff and thought they could just go in there and beat them. And, and, and whether that was a week to day to day game plan thing throughout the week or just on game day, they weren't as locked in as they have been. It just, I think that you can point that finger to that and just go, yeah, I think any given, any given Sunday and the Cardinals were a little bit hungrier than Dallas on that week three, but coming back in week four and doing what they did the Patriots was a good sign to to point to that and say, yeah, we don't think this team's – we still think this team has that chance to be a special team. Um, and this week it's going to – they're going to give the, the chance to prove it as they head to San Francisco and play what many, many people think is the best team in the NFL in the San Francisco 49ers. Um, we mentioned this with Arizona and we've mentioned it with Aaron Rodgers over the years, but, you know, it's a team that – uh has given this team some problems, uh, especially in the postseason the last couple years here, and they're going to get a shot to go into San Francisco's house this time and see if they can um, flex their muscles a little bit and, and prove to the NFL, prove to San Francisco that they're not the, the same team that they've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that – and, you know, we've heard the Cowboys essentially say that, like that we know we've got to get through San Francisco, you know, Wow. Jerry has, quick, Jerry even said it. Real quick, this is – I mean, obviously, the Broncos have released Randy Gregory. Wow. Breaking news. Breaking – I mean, obviously, this is going to come out in a few hours, so it's not going to be breaking anymore. But as we're recording this, this is breaking news that the Broncos are releasing linebacker Randy Gregory. That's pretty crazy. That is crazy. Come on back, Randy. <laughs> hey. I mean, it's uh, 
Let's go. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess it's one of those things that if you can, uh, it, it, you know, according to Schefter's tweet about it, they want to focus on young players. And um, and the thing is, is his he's a, a vested veteran. His salary is guaranteed for the year, so he can he could come he, he could go anywhere on a one year minimum salary contract for the rest of the year. And um, sign me up. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't think things ended very uh, well when he walked out to Dallas after that debacle. So I don't know that that's an option anymore. But I would I would entertain it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of those like uh, the you know sidebar on the show here. We get to talk about it. Um, it's one of those things where that may be the deepest position on the roster right now, but. It's it's real hard to have have too many edge rushers. Like, and you know, this is I'll say it this way: this is the type of move that Howie makes. Yeah, he, and he made it last year, right? He went and got Robert Quinn. They had their defense had like a gazillion sacks, and like in week I don't know what year what week it was, pretty late in the year, he goes out and signs Robert Quinn or trades for Robert Quinn, you know, at the trade deadline, and you're like, holy cow, man, like. And I don't know if, you know, who knows, maybe they're, you know, maybe the uh, the agent can uh, can rub Jerry and Steven's belly and make them feel better about what happened before. But um, I don't know, man. I don't know that he would come back here, but I uh, I would make the phone call. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, there was our there was our two or three minute off the off the rails, but that, off the rails. There, that is yeah. a uh, that is something that I guess you know you is worth talking about on the show just because. Uh, the history he's had here and the fact that the team did want to sign him when he was up for free agency a couple of years ago and sounded like they did sign him for a little bit of time, but the pen never hit the paper and there were some, some contractual issues there and some bad blood, but uh, you never know what can happen. So, um, all right, let's get back to San Francisco, Dallas, what everybody's wanting to hear for. Um, yeah. So you were, you know, as you mentioned, this is just, we were talking about, this has been a, uh, a boogeyman for the Cowboys, especially in the playoffs, heading to San Francisco, you know, trying to get them in their house this time. And I think this is a game that it's week five. You know, you, it's tough to say that a game in week five is one of the biggest games of the year because there's so much season left. But I think for this team and their mentality, this is the one that they've had circles since the schedules come out, no matter that it's week five, uh, it is week five. I understand that, but I think this is one that they have circled and have highlighted and sharpied, and they're. I think they're going to be ready to play. And that, not to say we'll we'll give our we'll give our score predictions at the end. Not to say that you know we expect them to go in and route the Forty ers by any means, but I don't think you're going to see a team that's going to play intimidated, uh, intimidated, or I think this might be the game we see the offense be a little bit more aggressive. The defense, you know, continue to play at the level we've seen it play at for most of the year, and you know. Even if it doesn't turn out to working in the Cowboys' favor, I think that, you know, this will be a game where teams go, okay, the Cowboys are definitely on that same tier as the 49ers, and if you want to throw Philadelphia in that conversation as well, that I think that's kind of the overarching theme coming out of this game. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's the perfect perfect way to put it. Is that, that they've got to play on the level with with San Francisco here, and if they if they come out and lay an egg here, then based on the way the NFC looks right now, the Cowboys are going to wind up playing. The Cowboys are going to wind up in the playoffs. Like it's really really hard to go three and one early in the season and wind up missing the playoffs. Even if they play five hundred ball for the rest of the year. They're going to wind up, you know, whatever, 11 and seven or 11. I get all the games, 11 and six or, you know, whatever for the rest of the year, right? Um, they're going to wind up in the playoffs. And more than likely, they're going to wind up having to go, go to or have either San Francisco or Philadelphia come to Dallas. And if you go to San Francisco and you lay an egg this week, that week is going to be, it's going to be really tough for Cowboys fans, media people, depending on how they're playing, maybe even the team themselves, to feel like they've got a chance to go win that game in the playoffs in January. Uh, just because that'll be three times in a row. Kyle's got their number, whatever, whatever. And then they, they've, they've just got – and we said this last week about New England, right? They had to get back on the horse. They had to play well against New England. It might it might have been a tough, you know, scratch-out game because that's the way New England plays most of the time. Didn't wind up being that way, but we knew they had to go play well against New England. They got to do it again against San Francisco. They can't afford to have a letdown now against San Francisco, and I think they know it. They've expressed it. Um, and uh, when this team is locked in and – focused and prepared and ready, they're really, really tough to beat. Now, San Francisco is an incredible team. Their roster is incredible. The offensive play caller head coach is out of this world good at his, at what he does. He's one of the, you know, one of the two or three in the league that stand above and beyond everyone else. And I think most of those guys in that other, the other two or three guys in that group with him all look up to him and worked for him at one point. So he is the guy. He is the offensive play caller in the NFL. Um, he's the gold standard. And so, and you used to work for the Cowboys defensive coordinator. So there are just all kinds of storylines here. Um, it's going to be really interesting because you think of a Kyle Shanahan team as a, we're going to run the ball team, all that kind of stuff. And they're a, a very good rushing team, but they're EP for drop back right now. Yeah, throughout the year is like I'll say it this way Brock Purdy's in San Francisco's EPA per drop back right now is about one and a half times peak Mahomes yeah like the best season Mahomes has ever had was in the 0.3 EPA per play range Brock Purdy is at 0.474 so one a, a little over one and a half times as good as the best season Pat Mahomes has ever had. Now, nobody is saying Brock Purdy is Pat Mahomes, but the environment that he is placed in combined with what he does creates an environment where he is able to produce that way and really has since he took over the offense. 
and Jimmy G's numbers in that offense were nuts and all that kind of stuff. So it's a really difficult offense to defend. The skill players they have, the way they block things up, the advantages that they give their guys in the run game, the angles that they create, there's just no stone that's unturned with that team in terms of preparation, alignment, assignment, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's going to be a really tough game for the Cowboys, um, but it's one that they are that they are up for for sure. Yeah, and, and you mentioned one thing. I I can't remember where I heard it on a show or podcast or something I was listening to the other day, but you know somebody I heard somebody say like nobody know no nobody knows. Dan Quinn's defense better than Kyle Shanahan because they, you know, he coached under him in, in Atlanta. And the I just want to say, like, the defense that Dan Quinn's running now is really nothing close to the defense that Dan Quinn was running in Atlanta, you know, however many years ago that was. So, you know, they do some things similar, but it is a pretty much a completely re innovative defense. Um and let and let's also be really clear. This defense is not complicated. Right. This defense is not a difficult defense to know what they're going to do. They're going to play cover one at a higher rate than just about anybody in the league. They're going to play cover three at a very high rate. They've played more middle of field closed coverage, at least going into last week. And I'm assuming they played it that way against, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I'm assuming the Patriots game fit along the same line. They played more middle of the field closed or one high coverages than anybody else in the league come into this year. They're a very straightforward team. They use cover two as a changeup, and that's really about it. it. What this what this defense is about is this defense is about the dudes that they have up front and the ways that they get moved around in the front seven to create matchup advantages. Um, and But they're playing a bunch of very simple coverages on the back end that they just have a bunch of dudes back there that run it really well and a bunch of dudes up front that can make quarterbacks' lives miserable. So knowing Dan Quinn's defense is not that huge of an advantage for Kyle Shanahan, A, because like you said, it, it is different. They're doing a lot of different things in the fronts than what they did in Atlanta. But the other side of it is I think most defensive coordinators probably or offensive coordinators probably feel like they have a relatively good grasp on what Dan Quinn does from a schematic standpoint. It's the fact that they've got a, a – I hate when people use this word because it's it's the wrong – it gets used way too much. They have a legitimately generational pass rusher in Micah Parsons that is receiving uh, legitimate comparisons to the guy who is considered the best pass rusher of all time, Lawrence Taylor. Um, and guys like Bill Belichick who coach Lawrence Taylor are not poo-pooing those comparisons. That should tell you all you need to know about Micah Parsons. And then he's got – three other defensive front players who are playing as well or better than Micah Parsons is playing right now. DeMarcus Lawrence is playing out of his mind right mm -hmm. now. And that that is what makes this defense tick, not some schematic advantage that they have. It's th this defense is about Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. And um, it's it's really fun to watch because they let their players go make plays and they got players that can go do it for sure. Staying on the Cowboys defense, what what are you know? Obviously, it's easy to look at that that San Francisco offense and point at some of the guys that they have on that offense. I mean, as much as I feel like me and you both believe that the running backs don't always matter, it's tough not to be a little scared of what Christian McCaffrey's can and 
has the capability of doing in this game from the ground and the receiving game. Um, obviously coming off a huge week. And with that being said, I think it's great to see these Cowboys linebackers play as well as they did last week when you got an opponent like San Francisco, who's probably going to try to run the ball. And again, you know, we know that they can throw it too, but they are, you know, a good balanced offense that can run in pass pretty much how they want to. Um, but I, I do, you know, I think Christian McCaffrey is kind of the X factor that you're circling there. Um, you know, if he's a guy who's going to go have a huge day, it's probably going to be a tough, a tough game to 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 stay, you know, in front of because if they can run the ball at will, throw him the ball, and he's able to be the the key difference maker in this game, that probably does not bode well for the Cowboys because that means they're probably not playing the run all that effective. And we've seen this team when they don't play discipline, gap sound run fit sound football on that side of the ball that they can have struggles. We saw it against Arizona. We saw it, you know, we've seen it over the last few years. Um, but McCaffrey's also a guy who hasn't really killed them. Uh, he didn't kill him in the playoffs last year, but he has the capability to, and that's the guy I'm kind of circling. And it's not so much the player. It's just that I know that if Christian McCaffrey goes out there and has one of these huge days, it's likely not going to get, you know, be a good day for the Cowboys defense, mainly because they're probably not playing to the standard that, we hear Dan Quinn and these coaches talk about where it's, you know, again, like they do some exotic things up front to get these guys in the the right positions. But we talked about it last week, like not, not doing the silly stuff on early downs and getting beat with Micah Parsons playing straight over the center and Osa Digizua playing on the edge. Like I almost think this is one of those weeks that you just want to kind of line it up and, and play it sound and, you know, obviously still be aggressive and, and want to get in the backfield and make those negative plays, but not not playing too much with your hair on fire, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and trying to overthink things a little too much. Yeah, and, and one of the things that, that Kyle Shanahan does a great job of is he works around moderate offense, moderate to, to below I don't know the exact word I'm looking for. I'm struggling a little bit, but he works around mediocre offensive line play incredibly well. Right. So if you look at just the 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 individual matchups along the offensive and defensive lines when the 49ers have the football, the Cowboys have the advantage there distinctly. Um, where Kyle wins in those situations is he creates leverage for them with formation with motion, with all those kinds of things. And by doing that, he puts those guys in position to be able to win despite the fact that they are undermanned. Um, what can't happen in this game is they can't exasperate that by adding um, unusual fronts and things like that in those in those um, neutral game script type situations, those those early downs, yep. they've got to play very sound up. If they play sound up front, I think they can slow – and they've proved it. They The San Francisco offense did not have a great day against the Cowboys the last time they played when they played in the playoffs last year. So it, it's – if they play sound football, they can play with the 49ers and hold the 49ers down offensively. It's It becomes a nature of – I mean – they ran for 113 and threw for 199 against the Cowboys last year in the playoffs. So it's it's not like they just go nuts on this defense when they play. So if the Cowboys just play sound and allow their talent advantage up front to work and 
play sound and tackle in the secondary, um, they're going to be just fine. If they start missing tackles and things like that, playing over-aggressive and, you know, CMC makes a guy miss and now off and running, here we go for 40 or 50 yards, that's when we get in trouble. Um, so a guy like, you know, I'm as big of a Donovan Wilson fan as there is in the world. Um, he's got to play with a lot of discipline and he's got to tackle really well, which is something that he's sort of up and down on a little bit. He, he makes big plays, but um, but he winds up playing a little out of control sometimes trying to make those plays and can miss tackles. Um, he's got to play really sound this week. He's got to tackle really well because he's going to wind up in some situations in space with Christian McCaffrey or Debo Samuel or George Kittle or Brandon Ayuk or Kyle Juszczyk, you know, all these skill guys that San Francisco has, they're going to wind up in space against them. They're going to have to tackle really well and rally to the ball. If they do that, the defense will be just fine. Yeah. And, and I mean, we still are unsure if Tyron Smith's going to play. I think Jerry Jones called it iffy on the radio yesterday. Um, sounds like, you know, I heard John Machota say on his show that he thinks he'll play. He said that he's turning in the right direction. So there could be some gamesmanship happening here with, you know, not giving the 49ers a heads up on who's going to be a left tackle. But either way, this defensive front's going to be the best one that this offensive line has faced all season. And that's with or without Tyron Smith. Um, Javon Hargrave has been a huge addition for them. Eric Armstead's been a great player. Javon Kinlaw is kind of turning it on. Obviously, Nick Bosa's, you know, right in that same tier with Micah Parsons. The one thing that scares me a little bit about this Cowboys offense against the San Francisco defense is the way that they like to run their offense and have been running their offense. They got away from it a little bit last week, which is good to see, but I do not want to be burning up the slant flats uh, against San Francisco's defense because Fred Warner is a menace in the middle of the field as a coverage player. Um, Dre Greenlaw is a menace running sideline to sideline and making those, you know, flat throws, flat throws. They don't really get much more after that. Um, they just have so much speed and so much sideline to sideline aggression um, that I feel like the best way to beat this defense, and obviously you have to have the protection and the players to do it, is to get the ball down the field, you know, stretch it a little bit more vertical, be a little bit more of that vertical passing game, because I think that east to west concept that we've seen so much that this Cowboys team likes to run, it just kind of goes right into the hand that the 49ers want you to do because of the way they like to play and the way their their second-level uh, defenders like to play. Yeah, they they've almost got like a boa constrictor on defense and we've seen them do it to the Cowboys before where they can just choke you out, man. Yeah. Like with, with the, because of the way they can get after the quarterback and, you know, you talked about Hargrave and Armstead and Bosa and, you know, they've got dudes just like the Cowboys have dudes. Um, if the Cowboys can block them up and attack down the field, you feel like there's plays to be made. Because the, the I feel like the Cowboys wide receivers are probably better man for man than the 49ers secondary is. But as a unit, the 49ers defense is incredible because it's really deep. It's really difficult to throw the ball down the field on them because of how well they rush. It's really difficult to throw the ball in the intermediate areas of the field in the middle of the field because Fred Warner is a cyborg. It's really difficult to do those things because of the way it's structured. So they uh, so they can just choke you out because you wind up being forced into throwing these certain specific set of routes that they just rally and tackle every time. 
and eventually they put you in a situation where you've got to go chase the down and distance, and then they can get after your quarterback. It's, uh, it's the so, Spider-Man meme. It's literally the Cowboys and San Francisco's defense pointing at each other, being like, we're kind of the same. Exactly, and they, they do it a little bit different ways. Like, they you know, schematically, they do it a little different um, on the back-end coverage standpoint. But, yes, it's very, very similar. The, the main difference is the little bit of a coverage di- standpoint difference uh, schematically. And the Cowboys don't have a Fred Warner. Like uh, LVE is a good player, but he's not Fred Warner. Nobody in the league is Fred Warner. Um, It's a uh, it's really um, it's a huge advantage for them to have that guy. Um, Even if in general, like it's it's also really difficult to find that guy. Like that's a third round pick. Nobody believed he was going to become what he is. um, Even if there were a lot of people that liked him a lot, Um, he's. He's going to be, he's going to be a difference maker in this game because of the way the Cowboys have historically liked to try to attack over the middle of the field. We will see how that happens uh, this week. A, a big difference this time between this game and last time is Michael Gallup's playing light years better now than he was this time last year, or last year when it, this time last year or at the end of last year. And Brandon Cooks brings an element that this team hasn't had. Yeah, and gosh, that is that is the. Last thing I'm waiting for to feel like if they would just have Brandon Cooks play the role that he's played for so long and been so good at, that would make me feel so much better about just this offense going forward. Like they've moved the ball fine in between the 20s, in between the red zones. It's, it hasn't been an issue. But man, we've seen like one deep shot to Brandon Cooks and he has made his career on doing that. And I mean, again, like I don't even want to make it seem like I'm maybe he doesn't have it anymore. I don't, I don't know. We haven't seen it called. Like maybe they've determined that he doesn't have that ability anymore. I think that would be crazy and not right, but I've not seen him practice every day and all that. But, man, if they can just unleash him as that deep threat, it, it just it opens up so many more things because you can't you won't have Hofenga sitting over the middle of the field. He's going to have to pay attention to getting deep and covering that deep part, and you're going to you know be able to open up the middle of the field more for, for some of the, the, the passing games and, and runs and all that stuff. So it's it's – I don't know. I think that's one key that they can still unlock this offense and some of the play calling and open up some free things for this offense is just by by getting Cooks more involved in that deep vertical passing game. And then, you know, like you said, we, we were – I feel like a lot of people were kind of tossing dirt. And, you know, I, I thought Michael Gallup might be done. But, man, it looks like he's he's kind of turning back to his normal form. And we've seen Jalen Tolbert make some plays. Obviously, CD's been good. So, if they can get Cooks going and, and really – I think Gallup actually said in the video, uh, interview yesterday, like, yeah, like his box score isn't great, but, you know, it's he, the things he does to make defenses think about what he can do is it's helped our offense get, get to some plays that we wanted to get to. So sounds like he's still doing some of the things, even if he's not doing some of the things with the way teams are still trying to play him. But would love to see him, you know, get start connected on some of those deep shots that we've seen him do so much throughout his career. Absolutely. I think it's uh... – it's something that is yet to be unveiled that if it is there, if it's in there, it's it's in the offense for them to do it, it will make a big difference for the offense when it happens. All right. give We're going to each give an X factor and each give our score predictions, and then we will get out of here. So I'll let you start it off. Who's your X factor in this game for, for either team? I think it's Brandon Cooks. Like, I think he's the guy, you know, Michael Gallup is playing a little better than he played, or a lot better than he played last year. But the guy who the Cowboys have now that they didn't have last year is Brandon Cooks. He He's the difference in this offense. 
Um, and if he plays well, I think the Cowboys have a really great chance to win because that seems to have been the thing that they haven't been able to do is get guys open. And so if they if Brandon Cooks can get open, I think they've got a really good chance to score some points, which is what they've struggled to do against the 49ers the last few years. I'm gonna go and it's not that it's not that it's been a huge thing for the San Francisco offense so far, but I'm gonna go with J. Ron Curse. And that is solely because we've seen not him struggle. Um, I don't want to say he struggled, but we've seen tight ends do a little bit more against him this year than we've seen in years in the past. I mean, Hunter Henry made an insane catch and Curse was flagged for holding, I think it was in that game. But um I think that if you if he can get back to his just locking down George Kittle, um, you know, not letting him move the chains on third down and then just being that physical presence that we've seen him be for so long um, against the run, you know, stepping up and making tackles on the boundary when Christian McCaffrey tries to bounce it outside. Um, I think he could be a big, big spot because we like I said, we've seen this San Francisco offense be really good passing and throwing. Um, but if we can get them into those third and long scenarios, it's I, I'm going to take my my chances on this Dallas defense against Brock Purdy, even though it is Kyle Shanahan and his designs. I'm going to take my chances on this Cowboys defense, their front, their coverage against San Francisco when you get them into those third and seven, eight, nine, ten plays. I know they've been really good at them so far, um, so far to start the year. But, you know, I, I think it's it's not like we can sit around and do this a lot because it's not like we've played any world beaters by any means either, but San Francisco has played Pittsburgh. They have played the Rams. They have played the Giants. They have played the Cardinals. So they haven't, you know, it's not like Dallas has played any world beaters yet either, but you know, they're kind of in the same boat. Like I said, that Spider-Man meme again, where they haven't played any real legit contenders yet. They haven't played really any dominant elite quarterbacks yet. They haven't played, you know, the, the dominant elite defense yet. You know, I guess you can say that, that, that they played Pittsburgh and we just played the Patriots. That's probably the closest thing you got. But uh, I, I think this is, this is going to be the game of the week for most people. This is going to be the game of the year for, you know, both of these teams for the most part. And I'm really, really interested to see what, uh what the Cowboys do uh, Sunday night. And it's going to be, it's going to be a, it, this is probably like the first game we can point to be like, I feel like after this game, we'll definitely have an idea of what this team is. Um, that's probably the overarching theme here. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we will be back next week to talk about how things went in San Francisco and, and getting ready for uh, week six. Bye week is in week seven this year. So we have two more, two more games, two more shows before the bye week. And then we'll be able to take a deep breath and uh, figure some things out throughout this bye week and see what we're doing well, what they need to improve on. Um, excited to get to that point. Cause this team, you know, hasn't been beat down with injuries yet by any means, but, uh, getting some of these offensive linemen back to full strength and getting them off their feet for a week, week and a half is going to be a big thing for them. So I'm um, excited to get to that point, excited to uh, get to Sunday night and see this team play two of the best teams in the NFC are going to go up against each other. And whoever comes out of that's probably got a really good chance of, you know, as, as meaningless as they are moving up in those power rankings and, and getting a little bit more respect than maybe they have been getting. So we'll, uh, we'll be back next week to talk about it all. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll talk about this stuff.